we would like to welcome everybody to tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah's prophecies, <coughs> chapters 8 uh, and beyond, the rise of the king of Assyria. Isaiah 8, starting in verse 1. By Jehovah, or Jehovah said to me, take a large scroll and write on it in common script. Hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. And I called in reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah, the son of Jebrachia, to witness for me. Now here we have Isaiah introducing the arch tyrant, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. That entity um, in its end time context that will become the staff in the Lord's left hand to amass to himself <coughs> a political, economic, and military power and destroy um, almost the entire world, those who do not enter into covenant with their God. And when I had been with the prophetess, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And Jehovah said to me, name him Meher Shalal Hashbaz, or hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. For before the child knows how to say father or mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be brought before the king of Assyria. Or in other words, um, as this child is still young, um, those who, <coughs> against <coughs> the Lord's warning, enter into a confederacy, you know, Ephraim with Syria against Assyria and King Ahaz in confederacy with Assyria, um, all against the prophetic counsel of the Lord. Isaiah gives to King Ahaz a sign that a child will be born, and the child that is to be born uh, is his son Hezekiah, who will lead again the people in righteousness. And um, as Isaiah's son is yet young, and Isaiah, <coughs> as well as Hezekiah, are historical um, precedents uh, that Isaiah uses as a type for the end time servant. While Isaiah's uh, son is still young, the ravaging of the northern kingdom by Assyria will be accomplished. And in a modern day connotation, um, this alliance <coughs> represents um, an alliance by both political and religious leaders 
with uh, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. He who is set up by the Lord to destroy the entire world. And the people think that they can either stand against him, you know, without their God and survive, or that they can make alliance, <coughs> excuse me, that they can make alliances with him and survive. But both will find out that they cannot stand against him without entering into covenant with their God and alliance with him will not save them. Verse five, Jehovah addressed me again and said, because these people have rejected <coughs> the waters of Shiloh, which flow gently and rejoice in resin, the son of Ramalia, therefore will my Lord cause to come up over them the great and mighty waters of the river, the king of Assyria in all his glory. He will rise up over all the channels and overflow all his banks. So the Lord is again addressing Isaiah. And um, not only have, you know, the leaders rejected, you know, a covenant and the counsel of their God, but so have the people. Um, so resin, the son of Ramalia, um, this is talking about the uh, northern kingdom alliance with Syria to stand against Assyria. And because the people did not listen to his counsel, he is going to empower The king of Assyria, king of Babylon, here the metaphor is the waters of the river. The king of Assyria in all his glory will rise up over all his channels and overflow all his banks. So here we have the king of Assyria you know, slash king of Babylon in his military context. He will sweep into Judea like a flood and passing through reach the very neck. His outspread wings will span <coughs> the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. So Emmanuel is the son of King Ahaz, Hezekiah, you know, who again is a type of the Lord's end time servant. And so king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will be empowered by God um, to take over and destroy all the land, um, except for, you know, those who enter into covenant with their God. And the path for that covenant will be opened up by Emmanuel, or Hezekiah, or the Lord's end-time servant. Verse 9. Though nations form packs, they shall be rooted. Give heed, all you distant lands. You may take courage in one another, but shall be in fear. 
You may arm yourselves, but shall be terrorized. Though you hold consultations, they shall come to naught. Though you make proposals, they shall not prove firm. God, <coughs> God is with us. So Emmanuel means God is with us. So those who rely upon the arm of flesh, um, who trust in those who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, who have not been commissioned by God to save his people, will find desolation. And all of their preparations will not save them. Um, but God will save his people. And God will extend his covenant to his people through his end-time servant, Emmanuel. Jehovah spoke to me, clasping my hand, and admonished me not to follow the ways of these people. For he said, do not call a conspiracy all that these people call a conspiracy. Be not afraid or awed by the thing they fear, but sanctify Jehovah of hosts, making him your fear, him your awe. Now, Jehovah spoke to me, clasping me by the hand. This is ascension imagery. And here, Isaiah is ascending to, <coughs> you know, that of a king and priest. He is being endowed by God with God's power. And the Lord's <coughs> end time servant is also being endowed with power um, in the exact same way. And we have an example of this type of endowment in Helaman chapter 10. Now, in Helaman chapter 10, we have the sealing of the second order of Melchizedek priesthood upon Nephi, the brother of Lehi. And as a cross-reference, let's go to DNC 76. Verse 56 through 58. They are they who are priests and kings, who have received of his fullness and of his glory, and are priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. Wherefore, as it is written, they are God's little g, even the sons of God, <coughs> big g. And we're told in JST Genesis 14 that the sealing of this priesthood comes by the calling of God's own voice. And so in Helaman 10, we have an example of the sealing of this priesthood and the endowing of God's servant in much the same way um, that this imagery that we're being given uh, regarding Isaiah as he is also endowed, so will the end time servant. So in Helaman 10, 
the last uh, line of verse 3. Behold, a voice came unto him, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unweariness declared the word which I have given unto thee, unto this people. And thou hast not feared them, but thou hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will and to keep my commandments. And now because thou hast done this with such unweariness, behold, I will bless thee forever. And I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works, yea, even <coughs> that all things shall be done. Unto thee according to thy word, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine, and with pestilence, and destruction, according to the wickedness of this people. Behold, I give unto you power, that whatsoever ye shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And thus shall ye have power among this people. And thus, if ye shall say unto this temple, it shall be rent in twain, it shall be done. And if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou cast down and become smooth, it shall be done. And behold, if ye shall say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. And now behold, I command you that ye shall go and declare unto, <coughs> unto this people that thus saith the Lord God, who is the Almighty, except ye repent, ye shall be smitten even unto destruction. So back in Isaiah 8, verse 11, Jehovah spake unto me, clasping my hand. And this is the imagery of having the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him. And, and admonished me not to follow the ways of these people. For he said, do not call a conspiracy all that these people call a conspiracy. Be not afraid or odd. Or in other words, Because the people against my counsel are entering into a confederacy, both the northern kingdom and Syria, to stand against the Assyrians, um, I have told them that it will come to naught. So even though the Assyrians are threatening overwhelming military force. Do not forget that I am God and I have the power to deliver my people. And relying upon the arm of flesh will not save them. So do not fear as they will fear. But sanctify Jehovah of hosts, making him your fear and him your awe. Verse 14, <coughs> and to you, he will be a sanctuary, but, the, to, but to the two houses of Israel, a stumbling block or obstructing rock and a snare catching unawares the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble in unto them 
and when they shall fall, be broken. And when they become ensnared, shall be taken captive. So to you, to you, Isaiah, to those who repent and return, to those who enter into covenant with their God, Christ will be a sanctuary. Now, we get this concept um, in DNC 84 with the children of Israel under Moses. And what does that mean that God will be their sanctuary? In DNC 8423. Now, this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. And in the next verse, we find out that beholding the face of God in this context means entering into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And no man, no woman can enter into the rest of God um, in this life uh, on this earth until, of course, he comes in his glory. So this is referring to an ascension experience like Moses had in Moses chapter one, where he goes up to the high mountain, not the earthly mountain, but the heavenly mountain where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. For this is the privilege of God's people in every generation in which there's an open dispensation to be sanctified through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they then might be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. And thus, he is literally a sanctuary to his people. But to the two houses of Israel, a stumbling block or obstructing rock. Now, <clears throat> let's cross-reference 2 Nephi 28. where Christ declares that he is the stone. Verse 28, And in fine woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. And he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. So those who are built upon the rock or upon Jesus Christ receive the truth with gladness. And this is a litmus test that we might know where someone is, that we might know if someone is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ and revelation or upon something else, i.e. anything else is a sandy foundation. <laughs> and in JST Matthew 21, Christ declares that he is the stone. And in reference to the Pharisees of his day uh, says that those wicked Jews who fall upon this stone will be dashed to pieces. And then in reference to his second coming, those who fight against him and his servants or the new husbandman, which he places in the vineyard, um, shall be ground into powder.
but the but to the two houses of Israel, a stumbling block or obstructing rock. So Christ is both the sanctification and exaltation of the righteous and the destruction of the wicked. That fire, <coughs> you know, in the end times that destroys the wicked, it also sanctifies the righteous. And a snare catching unaware the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble on into them. When they shall fall, shall be broken. Again, you know, Christ, you know, repeats a very similar <coughs> idea at the end of JST Matthew 21, where he both delivers. Um, his people who are true and faithful and destroys his people who um, will not abide the covenant which he extends to them. Verse 16, for Jehovah has said, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. I will wait for Jehovah. Who hides his face from the house of Jacob and expect him? <coughs> so among God's covenant people, there will be those, including his servants, who remain true and faithful to him and will wait upon uh, Jesus Christ. And even though His people, or the Jacob Israel level, those who are his people, but have not yet repented and returned, have not yet um, come unto him, both with their lips and also their hearts, who do not honor the covenant that he extends to them, they see not his face. However, God's people do see his face. And in DNC 103, we have a reference to the end time exodus and how those who will be on the end time exodus um, will behold the face of Christ. And in DNC 103, verse 20, it says, But I say unto you, mine angels shall go up before you. Well, who are these angels? Well, they are those who, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 8, are taken by the hand or have the patriarchal order, the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon them and thus become kings and priests. Um, this would include the end time servant Joseph Smith and uh, those of the 144,000 who are working with the elect on the Exodus to help them enter into the rest of the Lord. Mine angel shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time, he shall possess the goodly land. The goodly land is the establishment of new Jerusalem. My presence going up before you is not that Christ comes down and is, you know, physically walking with his people, but on that Exodus, God's people are entering into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And thus, 
Christ's presence is going up before them that they might be qualified to enter into the gates of New Jerusalem. <coughs> Verse 18, as for me and the children Jehovah has given me, we shall be signs and portents in Israel from Jehovah of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Okay, in a Latter-day context, Mount Zion is New Jerusalem. And what did Isaiah name his children? Um, which serves as a prophecy of that which is to come. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil. Or that the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, is going to become the staff in the Lord's left hand to destroy the world. Also, um, Sheir Jashub, or a remnant shall re repent and return. So although the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will destroy the world, yet there will be a few God's covenant people who actually keep the covenant with them, with him, who will be... <coughs> not only delivered, but will be brought up the ascension ladder. Also, uh, Emmanuel, which is the name of Hezekiah, King Ahaz's son, uh, God with us. <coughs> and the name of Isaiah himself, which means Jehovah will save. So all of these figures um, ultimately point to Jesus Christ, but below him also point to the Lord's end-time servants, both the king of Assyria, king of Babylon in his destructive nature, and the Lord's end-time servant in his um, deliverance and um, saving God's people from <coughs> the destruction. Verse 19. When men tell you to inquire of mediums and spiritualists who huddle together and mutter, say to them, should not a people inquire of their God? Should one inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? For doctrine and for testimony, surely while they utter such words devoid of light. They roam about <coughs> embittered by hunger, and when they are hungry, they become enraged and gazing upward, curse their king and their God. <coughs> or in other words, um, people are looking to the wrong source for enlightenment, for information, and for deliverance. If we go back to 2 Nephi 28, God gives us the definition of what it means to rely upon the arm of flesh. Verse 31, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. So, we should seek 
to get the spirit with us, that we might speak with the tongue of angels, that we might declare truth from the housetops, and also receive it in like manner as it is delivered unto us by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And if a man, if a woman <coughs> does not speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, um, we should not accept their words and their doctrine as of God. And this also has reference that um, people are, in fact, seeking revelation. Um, even um, miracles and spiritual gifts, but not in the appropriate way, not in the way that God has established. And so they receive power, perhaps, but not from him. They receive revelation, but not from him. It is the Achilles heel or the Achilles heel of those who receive um, spiritual communication. Um, to discern what is from God and what is from the adversary. For everybody that is given spiritual communication from God, whether it be answers to prayer, prophetic or revelatory dreams or visions, um, or even near-death experiences, that the adversary is allowed to give them equal and opposite uh, experiences that are so close to the real thing that the only way to know which is of God and which is not is to inquire of God. <coughs> and those who do not are ultimately led down strange paths and are deceived. And so in all things, as we seek after and receive revelation, we must ask God if this revelation has come from him. And we must not be so prideful that we think that we know of ourselves. Verse 22, they will look to the land, but there shall be a depressing scene of anguish and gloom. And thus are they banished into outer darkness. Or those who do not wait <coughs> upon <coughs> the Lord their God, those who do not seek a spiritual gifts from God, but rather from men and from demons and from Babylon, um, they are not provided sustenance or preservation from the destructions which are coming. In fact, uh, they're not only destroyed physically, but also spiritually. Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 1. But it shall not be gloomy to those who have been in anguish for her. For who? For Zion. Well, who are those who are in anguish for Zion? Well, those who are called to minister to her. Um, the role of a true prophet is to act as an intercessor for his people and to plead 
the case of his people before God and to sacrifice and to suffer and to labor and to toil for them. Um, for those who are called and accept the call as end time servants, it will not be bleak and gloomy for them. Um, and it will also not be bleak and gloomy to those who are finally delivered. In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, but at the last, he will exalt the sea route by the Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Or in other words, <clears throat> the elect are going to be gathered out of bondage from the four corners of the earth and will be led on end time exoduses back to New Jerusalem. And once old Jerusalem becomes again, a holy city to old Jerusalem as well. Verse two, the people walking in darkness have seen a bright light on the inhabitants of the land of the shadow of death has the light dawned. So the people walking in darkness have seen a bright light. Well, this darkness is cast by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And here again, we have this idea that the people of the entire earth, even God's covenant people, are going to be brought into bondage. However, I've seen a bright light has direct reference to the coming on the scene of the end time servant. And why is he called a light? Because he bears light, the light of the gospel. And it is the light of the gospel. It is the doctrine of Christ that saves his people. And so the end time servant opens again the heavens and teaches again and makes known the doctrine of Christ. The new and everlasting covenant, that of a, a broken heart and contrite spirit. <clears throat> to receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is what sanctifies a man, a woman, or a people preparatory to entering into the rest of the Lord. And once they have received that sanctification, they then have access to that level of revelation, whereby they might be instructed about how to enter into the Lord's rest. On the inhabitants of the land of the shadow of death has the light dawned. Again, we have the restatement that although God's covenant people will be in bondage and darkness for a short period of time, yet they will be delivered. In fact, this darkness um, and the shadow of death will be a final test for God's people. Um, will you really wait upon him? Um, or will you finally capitulate when the flame is turned up high enough? But God's people will wait upon him. We read in GST Genesis 14 that the sons of God must be tried even so as by fire. <coughs> Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice at your presence as men rejoice at harvest time 
or as men are joyous when they divide spoil. So when God's people are delivered from the shadow of death and from darkness, there is joy and rejoicing. They know in whom they have trusted, and they have not been left comfortless. But God has proved that he will not abandon those who wait upon him. Verse 4, for you have smashed the yoke that burdened them, the staff of submission, the rod of those who subjected them. All metaphors, yoke, <coughs> staff, and rod of the destructive power of the king of Assyria, and that he is bringing the whole world into bondage. And even God's people have borne the yoke and have been burdened by the staff and smitten by the rod, and yet they are delivered from the king of Assyria's destructive power. As in the day of Midian's defeat. Well, the day of Midian's defeat is the day that Gideon's army, you know, defeated over 100,000 of uh, the Midianites, Amalekites, and Ishmaelites. Um, and <coughs> just as Gideon led his people to victory, despite overwhelming um, power of the enemy, so will the Lord's end-time servant lead his people to victory um, in spite of overwhelming force by the opposition. And all boots used in battle and tunics rolled in blood have become fuel for bonfires. For to us a child is born, a son appointed, who will shoulder the burden of government. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, one mighty in valor, a father forever, a prince of peace. <clears throat> Again, this is a sign to King Ahaz. And a sign to King Ahaz has to be a sign that he will see and experience in his lifetime, or else it isn't a sign to Ahaz that his son, Hezekiah, will be a deliverer of his people. And this deliverer um, is a metaphor also for the Lord's end-time servant, who will shoulder the burden of government. Um, who will be a wonderful counselor, one mighty in valor, a father forever, a prince of peace. Now, this line, for to us a child is born, a son appointed. Um, this shows the relationship of Christ to the end-time servant. The end-time servant is a child born. The end-time servant is a son appointed by his father, Christ. Verse 7, that sovereignty may be extended and peace have no end. That on the throne of David and over his kingdom, his rule may be established. <laughs> 
his rule may be established and upheld by justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. The zeal of Jehovah of hosts will accomplish it. All right. The end time servant brings justice. Um, by the time the end time servant comes on the scene, uh, justice is not to be found in the land, but tyranny and injustice. And we certainly see the seeds of this being sown um, by people, you know, being fired from their jobs because they will not get the shot. Um, and in certain countries like Australia and Austria, you know, they are but portents of what is coming here. And, you know, that is an example of the injustice that will cover the earth um, before the Lord's end time servant comes back, but he will restore justice. And he is called righteousness. And in Isaiah, the Lord's end time servant is called righteousness and Christ is called salvation. Righteousness prepares the people for salvation. Verse eight, this message my Lord sent to Jacob and it shall befall Israel. <coughs> so this is the message to God's covenant people <coughs> who have not yet repented and returned and the entire people. So not just Israel, but the people of the whole earth. Ephraim and those who dwell in Samaria shall know of it, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. So this is showing the arrogance um, among the people in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, Ephraim has direct reference, although there are many direct references to uh, leadership and membership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is an example of um, the Lord referring to um, the members of the church. And he says that they are full of pride and arrogance of heart. Um, that they think, you know, for example, that when the people of the earth are met with a desolating scourge, that it can be corrected by trusting in government and in medical authorities instead of their God. But Jehovah will strengthen Raisin's enemies against them when he stirs up their adversaries. Arameans from the east and Philistines from the west will devour Israel with open mouth. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. So again, a prophecy that the king of Assyria will destroy the northern kingdom and that their 
alliance, um, the Northern Alliance or Ephraim with Syria will not be able to stand. And even amidst all of this destruction and suffering and heartache, still most of the people will not repent and return and will prefer to curse God and die and go down to destruction instead of humbling themselves and repenting and entering into a covenant relationship with their God. And this is what is meant by, yet for all this, his anger is not abated. You know, his anger being the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and his destructive power. And it's not abated because the people refuse to repent and return. And his hand is upright still. You know, there are two hands in <coughs> Isaiah, both the end time servant in the right hand, or the right hand and the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, the left hand. And this is the left hand of destruction. Um, and this also conveys the idea that um, this is not, um, this is going over a protracted period of time. That it's not something that is quick and over but it continues for, for years. Verse 13, but the people do not turn back to him who smites them. Well, the one physically smiting them is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, but he's being allowed to do it by the Lord. And the people don't repent and return, nor will they inquire of Jehovah of hosts. For as we read, they prefer to... Um, inquire of mediums and spiritists or to all of the wrong channels of revelation. Therefore, Jehovah will cut off from Israel head and tail, palm top and reed in a single day. The elders or notables are the head, the prophets who teach falsehoods. <laughs> The prophets who teach falsehoods, the tale. The leaders of these people have misled them, and those who are led are confused. So we have leadership, both political and military and religious. They are all teaching falsehoods, and they have led the people astray. And as a result, the people do not see things clearly. Um, in other parts of Isaiah, it would refer to them. They are drunken with wine. They are in mists of darkness. Verse 17. My Lord is not pleased with their young men, nor does he pity their fatherless and widows, because all alike are godless malefactors and every mouth utters profanities. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. So, even those who should be relying upon God and his strength and his power have abandoned God. And all have become profane 
except for a very few. And we have the recapitulation of the idea, yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. So the people, despite the bondage and suffering and even death, um, remain hardened in their hearts and refuse to repent and return. And so the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, um, is allowed to continue his work of destruction again over a protracted period of time. Verse 20. Verse 18. Wickedness shall be set ablaze like a fire. Well, this wickedness is being demonstrated by leadership, political, religious, military, and the people. As we just read, wickedness <laughs> shall be set ablaze like a fire, and briars and thorns shall it consume. It shall ignite the jungle forests, and they shall billow upward in mushrooming clouds of smoke. At the wrath of Jehovah of hosts, the earth is scorched, and people are but fuel for the fire. Men will have no compassion for one another. Again, we have the consuming and destroying fire and wrath of God um, representing the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and that he will, in fact, destroy the world. Verse 20, they will snatch on the right, yet remain hungry. They will devour on the left, but not be satisfied. Men will eat the flesh of their own offspring. Manasseh will turn against Ephraim and Ephraim against Manasseh, and both will combine against Judah. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. So, brother will turn against brother. Um, you know, nation against nation, city against city, household against household, and they will lose all humanity. So just as is lamented in the Book of Mormon, that the people have debased themselves even to the point of cannibalism. And it is lamented that it was not many years um, before that they were a civil and delightsome people and how quickly they descended into utter debauchery of the highest order. And we have the same... Um, the same thing happening here, just as the Lamanites and Nephites at the end of the Book of Mormon descended into the lowest form of demons and devils. So will that be the state um, as we experience the ravages and destructions of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon.
and again is recapitulated. Yet for all this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. So even at all this, <clears throat> the people choose to harden their hearts um, and go down to destruction instead of repenting and returning. Isaiah chapter 10. Woe to those who enact unjust laws, who draft oppressive legislation. And we certainly see those unjust laws and that oppressive legislation being drafted globally at this time, designed to bring the whole world into bondage. Denying justice to the needy, depriving the poor of my people of their right, making plunder of widows, mere spoil of the fatherless. <coughs> what will you do in the day? <coughs> what will you do in the day of reckoning? When the Holocaust overtakes you from afar, to whom will you flee for help? Where will you leave your wealth? This Holocaust is the global destruction wreaked by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And the foolishness of the people in thinking that if they just went along to go along, that they would be spared. Verse 4. There shall nothing remain but to kneel among the captives or fall among the slain. So if you do not enter into covenant with God, on the terms that he extends, there are two options, going into severe bondage or going to death. Yet for all of this, his anger is not abated. His hand is upraised still. So even facing a Holocaust, God's people, for the most part, still refuse to repent and return and prefer to harden their hearts and go down to destruction. And again, we have this idea of this happens over a protracted period of time. Hail the Assyrian, the rod of my anger. He is a staff, my wrath in their hand. I will commission him against a godless nation, appoint him over the people, deserving of my vengeance, to pillage for plunder, to spoliate for spoil, to tread underfoot like mud in the streets. <clears throat> so the people, and this is most of the people, who persist in the hardness of their hearts. And, you know, we see the pride cycle happen over and over again, you know, played out in the pages of the Book of Mormon. But usually at some point, the people would humble themselves, repent and return instead of choosing continued destruction. But the general condition will be that most people will not soften their hearts, repent and return, and will actually prefer destruction to humility and coming unto the true God, even Jesus Christ. Verse 7, nevertheless, it shall not seem so to him, 
This shall not be what he has in mind. His purposes shall be to annihilate and to exterminate nations, not a few. So the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, doesn't understand that he's simply <coughs> being allowed to work his work of destruction because the people of the earth will not humble themselves and come unto their God. He thinks he's doing all this himself. And his main motivation is simply destruction of the world. He doesn't realize that he's actually accomplishing um, a needed responsibility. That is removing the wicked from the righteous because ultimately the righteous could not ultimately be saved um, if the wicked were not removed because you know the wicked would ultimately destroy the righteous he will say are not my commanders kings one and all has not calno feared like Carchemish, is not Hamath as Arpad, Samaria no better than Damascus. As I could do this to the pagan states whose statues exceeded, whose Jerusalem and Samaria shall I not do to Jerusalem and its images, even as I did to Samaria and its idols? Or in other words, as the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, is accomplishing his work of destruction, conquering all peoples, um, he becomes too emboldened, thinking that since no people of the entire earth were able to stand against him, neither will God's people. And this will prove his overthrow and his destruction. Verse 12, but when my Lord has fully accomplished his work in Mount Zion, or New Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, when old Jerusalem becomes again a holy city, he will punish the king of Assyria for his notorious boastings and infamous conceit. So here we have a timeline about when the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will be taken down, and it will not be until after both new and old Jerusalems are established as holy cities. Verse 13, because he said, I have done it by mine own ability and shrewdness, for I am ingenious. I have done away <coughs> with the borders of nations. Well, we certainly see the borders of nations being done away with. Um, the whole point of the European Union. Um, that's exactly what is being done um, along our southern border. The, the borders of nations are being done away with. And this is all part of the plan of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. I have ravaged their reserves. I have vastly reduced the inhabitants. I have impounded the wealth of people's like a nest, and I have gathered up the whole world as one gathers abandoned eggs. Not one flapped its wings or opened its mouth to utter a peep. So, in general, 
nobody is going to oppose the destructive work of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And so <clears throat> if we're wondering, you know, why there isn't, you know, more of an outcry against, you know, the bondage and tyranny that we're quickly descending into, um, it's because um, most people don't have a sufficient moral and ethical backbone to be able to stand up to tyranny. They would rather go along to get along. Shall an axe exalt itself above the one who hews with it, or a saw vaunt itself over him who handles it, as though the rod wielded him who lifts it up, as though the staff held up the one who is not made of wood? Again, the irony of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, thinking that his work of destruction was accomplished simply because of his own designs and not because the Lord allowed him to destroy the wicked. Verse 16, therefore, will the Lord Jehovah of hosts send a consumption into his fertile lands and cause a fire to flare up like a burning hearth to undermine his glory. Now, whose glory is being undermined? Well, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And this fire, <coughs> and this consumption is the power of the Lord's end time servant. <coughs> Remember, um, as we read in Helaman 10, that uh, Nephi was endowed with power over the elements and to seal up, you know, people unto destruction or to deliverance. So it will be with the Lord's end time servant who will ultimately overcome the powers of chaos and destroy the Babylonians and the Assyrians and their leadership. Therefore will the Lord Jehovah of hosts send a consumption into his fertile lands. Okay. His fertile lands, because the Lord's end time servant and those who follow um, Jesus Christ at that day, um, the Lord will bless them with a sufficiency and eventually abundance. And we have the stark contrast between a barren wasteland, which has become the world and the fertile lands, New Jerusalem, <coughs> Old Jerusalem, and the Lord's people on the Exoduses. And cause a fire to flare up like a burning hearth to undermine his glory. So the end time servant undermines the glory of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. The light of Israel will be the fire. All right. Um, the Lord is the light and so is the servant. And the, the Lord will use the end time servant as the fire and flame that will destroy the king of Assyria and his forces. And it will happen very quickly. The light of Israel will be the fire and their holy one, the flame, and it shall burn up and devour his briars and thorns in a single 
day. So um, as opposed to the protracted period of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon's uh, work of destruction, uh, his and their ultimate, ultimate destruction will happen very quickly. Verse 18, his choice forests and productive fields, it will consume both life and substance, turning them into a rotting morass. And the trees left of his forest shall be so few a child could record them. Um, so we find out that among the forces of Assyria, there will be a few who will repent and return and will unite with God's people. Um, it's what is meant in verse 19. And the trees left of his forest shall be so few a child a child could record them. Verse 20, in that day, those who survive of Israel, who escape of the house of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them, but will truly rely on Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel. Of Jacob, a remnant will return to the one mighty in valor. <clears throat> okay, so again, we have this concept that Jacob, Israel, even those who will be delivered, will be bought, brought into bondage and will have to suffer for a period of time. In that day, those who survive of Israel and who escape, you know, you don't have to escape from freedom and liberty. You escape from tyranny and bondage. And those who do escape, those who do survive are those who um, relied upon their Lord and their God. Of Jacob, a remnant will return to one mighty in valor. So one mighty in valor, again, as previously defined, is the Lord's end time servant. He will be the means of proclaiming the fullness of the gospel and gathering out from the ends of the earth um, those who will enter into covenant with their God. Verse 22. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant will return. Although annihilation is decreed, it shall overflow with righteousness. So righteousness you know, being the Lord's end-time servant, that the Lord's end-time servant will save um, those of Jacob, Israel, who will repent and return, who will covenant with their God from the destruction that will annihilate everyone else. For the Lord Jehovah of hosts will carry out the utter destruction decreed upon the whole earth. And he carries out this destruction by the staff in his left hand, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Verse 24. Therefore, thus says my Lord, Jehovah of hosts, O my people who inhabit Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians. Though they strike you with the rod or raise their staff over you, as did, <coughs> as did the Egyptians, for my anger will very soon come to an end. My wrath will be their undoing. 
So again, God's people will be in bondage, but the bondage will be a short period of time, a final test to separate God's people from those who abandon themselves to fear and despair. Verse 26, Jehovah of hosts will raise the whip against them as when he struck the Midianites. So, you know, this whip, you know, again, is the Lord's end time servant who is given power over the king of Assyria, king of Babylon to protect and deliver God's people. Um, just as Gideon was empowered to deliver um, his people from overwhelming uh, force and destruction at the rock of Oreb. His staff is over the sea. Um, you know, this staff, this time, being the Lord's end time servant, uh, the sea being the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, where the end time servant will be empowered um, to defeat the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And he will lift it over them as he did to the Egyptians. Um, now, Egyptians in Isaiah represents America. And the Lord's end time servant begins his mission um, here in America and first gathers out the strength of the Lord's house or those who will accept the new and everlasting covenant among the Latter-day Saints and all the restoration branches lead the end time exodus. The fullness of the gospel will then go to the Lamanites and to the rest of the Gentile nation. New Jerusalem will be established from New Jerusalem there will be those under Joseph's um, leadership who will be sent to the four corners of the earth to finish the gathering of Israel, including the lost 10 tribes and Judah. And all of God's people will be gathered. So just as the Lord's end time servant will protect his people, uh, the Lord's people, you know, here in the U.S. and North America, where the exodus will start. So that protection will be extended to the entire world. Verse 27, in that day, their burdens shall be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke removed from your neck. The yoke that wore away your fatness shall be fatness wear away. So again, the people of the earth are also going to be in bondage, but those who will accept the fullness of the gospel and are willing to repent and return will be brought out of bondage. He advances on Aath, passes through Migron. At Michmash, he marshals his weaponry. They cross over the pass, stopping overnight at Giba. Uh, Ramah is in a state of alarm. Gebeah of Saul is fleeing. Cry out, O daughter of Galim. Hear her. Lesha, answer her. Anathoth. Madmemnah has moved out of the way. The inhabitants of Gebim 
are full of flight. The same day he will but pause at Nob and signal the advance against the mountain of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. So, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, eventually will come against both New Jerusalem and Old Jerusalem in their sanctified state. And as they do so, the very forces that they have marshaled for the destruction of God's people will be turned upon their own heads and will prove their own destruction. Verse 33, then will my Lord Jehovah of hosts shatter the towering trees with terrifying power. The high in stature shall be hewn down. The lofty ones leveled. You know, these are the forces of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. The lofty ones leveled. The dense forest shall be battered down with the force of iron and Lebanon fall spectacularly. 